0: Let the church say amen. 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 If we have any givers this morning, you can give online or you can give in the foyer. There are black boxes in the foyers if you have uh, checks or cash you'd like to give to the Lord in this house. Amen. Well, let us pray. Father, I come to you In the name of the man in the middle, Jesus Christ, your son, who said that I could come. That's the only reason I can approach your throne and enter into your majesty and your holiness and your grandeur and your transcendence is because your son not only told me I could come, but he made a way for me to come because he clothed me with his righteousness. I thank you that today we are saved by grace through faith. And it's not of ourselves, not from works will any of us boast. But as Paul said, we boast in the Lord Jesus, who made a way for us when there was no way, who came and bridged the gap between us and a holy God, that he was cursed on the cross with our sins so that we might be blessed with his righteousness draped upon us. And we thank you that after the death of our Savior, he rose again from the grave on the third day, just as he said. He said, no one takes my life, but I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I have the authority to take it back up again. We're so glad that death could not hold you. We're so thankful that you are not only the prophet of God, but you are the son of God, God the son. And when you rose, you said all power and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. And you told your disciples to go. And make disciples because of who you are and because of the power that you have and the power that you've even poured out on us and through us, through the Holy Spirit. We now go not only to make disciples, but to be your disciples. Lord, we're the church. We're your body. You are the head. We need your strength this morning. We need a word this morning. So we go to your word to get a word. And Lord, as I stand behind the sacred desk to open up the holy word, Lord, use me in spite of myself. And I pray that your people will hear a word and be doers of the word that they hear. And as I speak things prophetically this morning, not so much things about the future, but things about unrighteousness, Lord, I pray that we won't close our ears because maybe we haven't heard this Oh, we don't want to hear this. But Jesus, as Elder Sherman said last week, it's not so much the truth that sets us free. It's the truth that we know that sets us free. And we not only need to be set free from religiosity and works based performance and all of those things we try to do to earn your favor rather than just receiving your favor, as Savannah just said. But, Lord, we also need to be delivered of lies in our culture, lies that lift one people group up and put other people groups down. Father, I'm coming this morning in the name of Jesus against the spirit of deception, the spirit of lies, even the spirit of racism. You're reminding us that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against spiritual wickedness in high places. Help us, Lord, to see the schemes of the enemy and how he has been successful in dividing people for centuries because we have our eyes on the wrong thing and on the wrong folk. Help us to have our eyes on Jesus today. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. 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 To kick off the new series that we're embarking on today, the 1619 sermon series, Truth Crushed to Earth Shall Rise Again. We're kicking that off this morning. Um, Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 19. So we're kicking off our new series, the 1619 sermon series and we'll begin today with 2 Kings 16:19 because every sermon in this series will come from a 16:19 address in the scriptures. Next week we'll be in Deuteronomy 16:19. A little bit later we'll be in Acts 16:19. But this morning 2 Kings chapter 16 verse 19 and I'd like to preach a message entitled, what we found about the founding fathers. What we found about the founding fathers. Well, today is the 4th of July and you have plans. The grill is gonna be fired up today. You have plans. You're going to look at fireworks today, the 4th of July, or last night in Nashville. You have plans. It's the 4th of July. And on this day in 1776, the 13 colonies in North America declared their independence from King George III and Great Britain on this day. In 1776, the 13 colonies, British colonies in North America, decided to declare their independence from King George and Great Britain. And in the Declaration of Independence, they wrote, when when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands." which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We've all heard those majestic words from the Declaration of Independence. And once the Declaration of Independence was signed, John Hancock going first, putting his name in the center and making it the largest. Once the Declaration of Independence was signed, the United States of America was officially born. They would need to go on and win a war that they had been in for already many years, a revolutionary war against one of the most powerful countries, boasting one of the strongest armies and navies in the world. And they would have to go on and invent a new form of government in the process, leading them to have to craft and structure other documents like the Constitution in the process. Men like John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and George Washington played critical and crucial roles in the genesis of America. Therefore, they, along with other statesmen, have been called the Founding Fathers. And this term was coined in 1916 by Warren G. Harding. I love being an American. I love being an American, but I am not always proud of being an American. Oh, I should've got an amen from a couple of people right there who understand what I'm trying to say. I love being an American but I am not always proud of being an American. And because I love being an American and I am an American, that gives me the right to lovingly and properly critique and criticize America. Being an American does not mean that I am to be nebulous towards various inconsistencies over the years about the country. No, part of being an American is having the freedom of speech and even the ability to speak against the things of America that go against the things of the kingdom of God. And so I love being an American, but I'm not always proud of it. And I have been told by some people, well, if you don't like it here, go back to where you came from. Huh? If I don't like it here, I can go back to where I came from, which is to Africa. But my response is, thanks to the great comedian and philosopher D.L. Hughley. When people say, go back to Africa, the response is, don't you know that there is a no return policy on stolen goods? On July 4th, 2016, rapper Lecrae posted a picture on Twitter of seven slaves picking cotton in a field with the following caption, my family on July 4th, 1776. Outrage immediately ensued, primarily from white evangelicals who made up a great deal of his fan base who felt that they had the right to lecture Lecrae. But Lecrae said, One person questioned my patriotism. Another accused me of making every issue a race issue instead of a gospel issue. Lecrae said, from where I sat, I was simply telling the truth about our country's complicated, imperfect history on a day when people were celebrating a simplistic, incomplete narrative about our country. Lecrae said, I just told the truth. On July 5th, 1852, escaped slave and abolitionist Frederick Douglass gave a speech entitled, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July? With President Millard Fillmore in attendance, Douglass, the great orator, said, What to the American slave is your Fourth of July? I answer a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim to him. Your celebration is a sham, your boasted liberty and unholy license, your national greatness, swelling vanity. Your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless. Your denunciations of tyrants, brass-fronted impudence, your shouts of liberty and equality, hollow mockery, your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings, with all your religious parade and solemnity, are to him mere bombast fraud, deception, impiety, and hypocrisy a thin veil to cover up crimes which would disgrace a nation of savages. There is not a nation on the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of these United States at this very hour. So that man spoke those words with a sitting president in attendance. In 1852, when slavery was still legal and going forward, he spoke prophetically about the situation. He spoke of people who normally do not have a voice. He represented people who normally do not have representation. He went against the grain of the thought that slavery was just a peculiar institution and slaves are happy with their plight in life. But no, this man stood up and said, let me tell you the truth. And he kept saying, I don't know why you invited me to give this speech on this day. But I'm going to give it anyway. And I'm going to tell the truth. Can you not see the bravery in that act? He must have been set on fire by the conviction of the Holy Spirit to speak the truth and let the chips fall where they may. In August of 2019, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones developed and published through the New York Times The 1619 Project. And that is where I get the title for this series from, from that particular publication. The 1619 Project was a special edition commemorating the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the first enslaved Africans to the English colony of Jamestown, Virginia that occurred in 1619. And the goal of the 1619 project, not only was it to educate and to tell stories that are normally not told, but the goal was to reimagine the country's traditional historical perspective by placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of the United States national narrative. She said, let's reexamine this a little bit. And it was Nicole Hannah-Jones who said, listen to this, America is not concerned with teaching historical facts. America is concerned with teaching a historical narrative. Went right over your head, so I gotta say it again. This country is more concerned with delivering a narrative than it is with communicating the truth. So what is that narrative? Especially the narrative surrounding the founding fathers. Who when we think about certain institutions like the one I came from, These men are so lauded and applauded that their pictures are placed on the Bible, founders' Bibles. And they talk about what Ben talked about, the liberty we have in Christ, but they equate it to the liberty that we have as Americans. And they somehow confuse patriotism with nationalism. And they have these Bibles, and and today there will be churches all across the country who will pay homage to these founding fathers for all that they did. And you'll even wonder if you're in a church or if you're in a theater somewhere watching a different version of Hamilton. You see, the narrative is that America is the most moral country on earth. And the Founding Fathers were great, noble, and brave men. Their faith in God and their love for life and freedom makes them heroes who are worthy of our respect, appreciation, adulation, and admiration. Oh, the Founding Fathers. Many white conservative Americans feel they must protect this wholesome and idealistic narrative at all times and at all costs. Even if it means banning teachers from teaching about the glaring contradictions that existed in the lives of the founding fathers. Because if you teach the truth about the dark side of their lives, because all of us are like the moon. We all have a dark side. But for some reason, the founding fathers... Did not, or if they did, their dark side was quickly overlooked, minimized, or even justified. Did you know that of the first 17 United States presidents, 12 of them were slave owners at some point in their lives? I said that 12 of the first United States presidents owned enslaved Africans. The ones who fought for liberty. Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. But if a slave said the same thing, that would be seen as wrong. And that slave could not say that without suffering major consequences. Because the all men that were spoken of in the Declaration of Independence did not include all men. Didn't include women, didn't include indigenous people, didn't include enslaved Africans. It spoke of white Protestant wealthy men. Uh huh. As I said now, please don't shoot the messenger today. Uh, I'm just sharing truth. I'm going somewhere because of these presidents who own slaves, here's just a few. The great George Washington had over 600 slaves during his lifetime. Thomas Jefferson, the one who helped frame the words of the Declaration of Independence, had over 600 slaves as well. James Madison had over 100 slaves. Andrew Jackson had over 200 slaves. James Polk had 56 slaves and Andrew Johnson had nine slaves. Sanitized versions of American history will overlook these facts, minimize these facts, or excuse these facts by saying, the founding fathers were simply men of their times, because that's what everybody was doing back then. Those were the times, and it is unfair for you, Chris Williamson, to come along and hold people of that era accountable to the standards of this particular social era. Pastor Chris, they they were men of the times. And do you see how that is used once again to minimize what they did? to even justify what they did. Because when you tell me they were men of the times and everybody was doing it, I would say, no, everybody wasn't owning slaves. Not all presidents own slaves. Number one, John Adams, the man who was vice president, two terms to George Washington. When he became president, he did not own slaves. And his son, John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States did not own slaves either, neither did he approve of the slave trade and people who owned slaves. So during that time, everybody did not own people who looked like me. There were some people who had some conviction to say that it was cruel and inhumane and the end does not justify the means. But the love of money is the root to all kinds of evil, including enslaving people. But another reason why I don't buy into that they were men of their times is because white supremacist ideology is not allowed to tell the ugly truth about white people's racism. White supremacist ideology or the spirit of white supremacy. You don't tell on the sins of your forefathers and your foreparents. You don't do that. Why? Because white supremacy says that White people are morally good and upright and upstanding. So when you come and you challenge that premise, you have to be shut down because it goes against the ideology and philosophy of white supremacy. Oh my. You see what I'm saying today? I couldn't say in 1621 and live. I couldn't say this in 1721 and live. I couldn't call out white supremacy in 1821 and live, and I couldn't even call it out in 1921 and live. But it's 2021, and I'm going to call it out. I'm going to call it out. Because truth, crust to earth, shall rise again. Now, calling out white supremacy doesn't mean I hate white people. Again, we're not wrestling primarily against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness, spirits of oppression, doctrines of demons. That would say my ancestors were not even human. But you had no problem mating with us. Uh, uh, You you believe that we were three-fifths of a person, that we didn't have a soul until later you said, let's evangelize the soul and leave them on the plantation. Let's get them to heaven. So that plantation gospel. And we'll give them Bibles with portions taken out of it so that they don't understand who they are in their creator and in their maker. But the slave was smart. And so although the slave had earthly masters, when it came time to talk to God, the slave would call God his master. And that's capital M Uh, a master serving notice to the slave master that you may control my body, but you do not control my soul and my spirit. So there was a theology of God deposited within the black church that came through the crucible of suffering and not from the pages of a theological book written by many theologians who also own slaves. Ah, If it walks like a duck. It's time for me to leave the pages of American history and do what I do best and go to the pages of Holy Writ. Oh, there's a word this morning. Scripture never hides the ugly parts of human history. Scripture doesn't sugarcoat uh, the ugly parts of human history. It doesn't romanticize or put rose-colored glasses on the shameful acts done by humans even when it's done by the people of God. Let me say that again. Scripture never hides the ugly parts of human history, even when it comes to the people of God. There's no lost cause narrative in the Scripture that seeks to repaint a a time of history that made a certain group of people look bad. And so we're going to remove all the warts and all the blemishes like we do on filters on Facebook so people don't see what we really look like. God ain't removing the filters and the blemishes. He's letting us see the filters and rather all of the blemishes, the pimples, the bumps and the bruises and the scars. So that it will drive us to him to find his mercy and to find his grace because we all are broken, busted and disgusted. God is not afraid to tell the truth, no matter who it might offend. God is not afraid to tell the truth, no matter who it might offend. So when he told Jeremiah, go and tell the Jews to surrender to the Babylonians, submit to them, and it will go well with you during this phase of captivity. The people Jeremiah spoke to, his own people, said that he was committing treason. How dare you tell us to submit? You can't be a prophet of God. And they threw him in jail for telling them the truth. But then when Nebuchadnezzar came and grabbed King Zedekiah, before they put his eyes out, they killed all of his children in front of him. Then they put his eyes out. So the last thing Zedekiah saw were his children being killed by the Babylonians. But that didn't have to happen had they just said, we are wrong. We have been wrong as a people. We submit to our punishment. Here we are. They thought Jeremiah was a fool for teaching the truth, telling the truth. God's word tells the truth about flawed patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as well as flawed monarchs, God's word. This is why we find comfort in the Bible, because we see that if God can use folk like that, he can use me with all of my flaws. But if we're painting with the white supremacist paintbrush and we want to put halos around everybody's head and overlook again the dark sides, then we're not under the truth. We should be inclined to tell the truth about the flawed leaders and presidents of America. That doesn't mean we hate America. We love America enough to tell the truth. We can't afford to live under a fairy tale not as people of color in this country. We must tell the truth. And when done in love, telling the truth about the human condition prepares us to be recipients of the grace of God. It reminds us that only Jesus was the perfect one. And yet this Jesus uses imperfect people because that's all there is on the earth, imperfect people. The Bible tells the truth about every king in the northern kingdom and in the southern kingdom. I said the Bible tells, every, tells the truth about every king in the north and in the south. And it will say this about a king because the kingdom split after Saul, David, Solomon. Then there was Rehoboam and the kingdom split into two, north and south. The north was known as Israel. Their capital was in Samaria. The south was known as Judah. Their capital was in Jerusalem. So you had kings in the north and kings in the south. And periodically, they would be in war against each other and even other nations. And so the Bible in uh, the book of 2 Kings and in First and 2 Chronicles, it would give you a thumbnail of each king's reign. And it would say of some kings that so-and-so did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. But then it would say about other kings that so-and-so did not do right in the sight of the Lord. So each one was, quote-unquote, judged, not only by their lifestyle, but also by the quality of their reign. And, and, and so when the Bible says say that so-and-so did what was right in the eyes of the Lord... Or so-and-so did what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord. Here's what you need to know. In the northern kingdom, there was not one righteous king in the whole line of kings in the northern kingdom. They all did evil in the sight of the Lord. And every now and then, you would find a righteous king in the southern lineage of kings. And these are the people of God. But God would tell the truth about each king. And even the ones who did what was right, sometimes there would be a footnote. So-and-so did what was right in the sight of the Lord. However, he did not remove the high places or he sacrificed on the high places. So in other words, yeah, he did what was right, but he had some closet sins, some secret sins, which we all have. Because God is working on all of us, bringing us and how we live to the light. There are however, in everybody's life here. Now, that doesn't mean God can't use us because, again, we're all imperfect. And he works with imperfect vessels. And that's why he pours his spirit and his grace upon us so that if anything good gets accomplished by us, and even in spite of us, we know who gets the glory. But why do we want to walk around and act like we don't have a dark side? Why do we want to walk around and act like we've arrived by way of sanctification? But when we, when we can be honest and humble in our ineptness and in our brokenness, the attention goes to Jesus and not the vessel. Why couldn't that have happened with the founding fathers when the history books were written? There are people who, when they listen to certain preachers, they feel like, man, those guys are so holy. I can never ascribe to that. But if you come here long enough, you're going to watch me and hear me and say, now, my pastor, he a man of God. But, man, yeah, he jacked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. You catch me at the wrong time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I need his grace. I need his mercy. I'm going to say something in a minute. I hope will encourage you. Matter of fact, go to 2 Kings 16.19. There's some encouragement coming. There's some encouragement coming. 2 Kings 16.19. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Stop right there. 2 Kings 16.19. The things that Ahaz did, they were written down in the books of the Chronicles. Everything that he did. So again, God in his book, his history book is going to record what the kings did, whether they were righteous or whether they were not righteous. Whether they were good and godly or whether they were evil and nasty, he's gonna record it because God is not afraid to tell the truth about whomever, whenever, wherever. So 2 Kings 16, 19, it says that Ahaz, all the things he did were written in the book of the Chronicles. Well, who was Ahaz? Well, Ahaz was the 11th king of the southern kingdom of Judah. He was the 11th king. Uh, Look at 2 Kings 16, verse 1, to get a little bit more insight about this man. 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 1, and the Bible says, In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. Here it is. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God. Stop right there. He did not do what was right. So the Bible is telling the truth about a founding father. The Bible was telling the truth about a king of Judah. But then verse two goes on to say, he did not do what was right in the sight of God as his father David had done. Can can we pause for a minute and keep it real, David was a king in Judah. And David here is seen as the model for what a righteous king is supposed to be. Now, now, now when they talk about evil kings, like, like you don't want to be like Jeroboam, you don't want to be like Manasseh, you know, because, uh, or Ahab. These folks, woo, they were terrible. But when talking about the standard for a godly good king, the Bible uses David as the example. Wait a minute, God, not the one who committed adultery, not the one who tried to cover up the adultery by using, misusing his political power to kill the husband of the wife he committed adultery with. And then after the man dies, he marries the woman. Not this guy, God. Not this guy who later in his reign is going to count the people in order to see how powerful he is, even though the prophets warned him, don't do that. Don't do that. He still did it anyway. Yet somehow, this man with all of his flaws, is held up as the banner and the standard of what a righteous king is. Oh, this tells me something about God. This tells me something about God. This says that God is a God of great mercy, great grace, loving kindness, God of the second, third, 15th, 14th, millionth chance. Because again, God knows the only perfect vessel I can use is my son. Everybody else is flawed. But what I love about David, and I believe what God loves about David, is that David was a man after God's own heart, even though he acted heartless at times. But the fact that he would repent, the fact that he would not try to push his sins aside or justify his sins, pull a Saul who didn't think he had sinned. When Samuel said, uh, did you do what God said? Yeah, I did what God said. Did you make the sacrifice? Yeah, I made the sacrifice. Then why are here sheep in the background? You're tripping, dog. You're deflecting. You're not pointing thumbs. But David, when his prophet called him out, Nathan, and he said, you're the man. David said, I have sinned. He did like sister girl who is being disqualified for smoking weed. She said, "I, I, I take full responsibility. I messed up. I did wrong. When we can do that, God can use us. But when we, when we try to act like our stuff don't stink, when we try to act like we, we, we're holier than thou, when God is shining the spotlight on us, mm-mm. he resists the proud. But he gives grace to who? The humble. David humbled himself before God. And that's why he could be used as a standard for fallen folk. Because just because you fall, that doesn't mean God can't use you. Somebody need to hear that. For a just man will fall seven times and get back up again. Matter of fact, the fact that you fell has given you wisdom to help other people who have either fallen or to encourage them to keep from falling in the thing that you fell into. David is the standard in all of his imperfections. That's the grace of Jesus. That's how it's supposed to be. Because whenever we talk about David... Yeah, he danced before the Lord, and yeah, he brought the Ark of the Covenant in, but you know he uh, committed adultery, uh, but you do know he killed Uriah. But when we discuss American history, all we talk about is the good stuff of these folk. (laughs) My goodness. No, no, there's only one Messiah that we worship, and that's Jesus. You see, what we see about Ahaz also in this verse, look at verse 3. It says, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. That's the northern kingdom where there weren't any godly kings. That's how this brother lived his life. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. So the surrounding nations would worship their pagan deities by sacrificing their children on the altar of their gods. And so he sacrificed his children also killed his children. Verse four, and he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. More about him from this passage. When Judah was attacked by Syria and Israel, Ahaz called out to Assyria for help instead of calling out to God. He said, let me answer this problem politically. Politically. Let me call for Assyria to help rather than calling on God to help. Mm -mm -mm. How many of us do that? Ahaz took the silver and gold that were in the temple to pay Assyria. Ahaz saw a pagan altar in Damascus that he liked it so much he had it replicated and it was built before he got back home to Judah. Ahaz made mosaic offerings on that pagan altar. The wave offering, the salt offering, the sin offering. He offered all of these things prescribed in the Mosaic law on this pagan altar that he saw when he was in Damascus. Ahaz brought the bronze altar from the temple and combined it with the pagan altar that he just made. Ahab commanded the priests to offer sacrifices on this new altar. And Ahaz made changes to the temple mount in order to appease the king of Assyria. Ahaz's life and reign can be summed up in one word, compromise. Matter of fact, his name Ahaz is short for Jehoahaz, which means the Lord sustains. But because he was such an apostate, because he had turned from Jehovah, he took Jehovah out of his name and just became known as Ahaz. Well, the Bible tells the truth about Ahab's. Yes, it does. But does history tell the truth about George Washington? We're going to come up on an upswing, but, 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 but first, we, we, got to, we got to sit here for a sec. Does history tell the truth about George Washington? A man whose teeth were so bad he had to put slave teeth in his mouth. The truth is, yes, he had over 600 slaves. But his will freed his slaves upon the death of his wife. Let me say that now. Again, we don't hear about this. I know I didn't grow up hearing about this. I had not learn about this stuff as a grown man out of school, that he had over 600 slaves. And he said in his will, my slaves can be freed when my wife dies. So therefore, there must have been a tugging in him to know that holding humans in bondage was wrong. But the great general, the great conqueror, the, one, the commander-in-chief, who, who was such a military genius, didn't have the courage to free his slaves while he was still alive. So in order to get his heart right before he met his maker, He's going to put in his will, let these human beings go, but only after my wife dies. If you think that's great, then we need to have a conversation out in the hallway or maybe in the parking lot after this sermon. Does history tell the truth about Thomas Jefferson? Yes, he owns 600 slaves, but does it talk about the fact that he fathered, multiple slave children with the enslaved woman, Sally Hemings. I know we've been learning about these things as of late, but for so long, these things were kept covered. Because just about every family, families got secrets. Now, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that cousin. We don't talk about that uncle. No, 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 no. And with history, we would do that, or they would do that with their heroes. We don't talk about that particular aspect. Does history tell the truth about Abraham Lincoln? The great emancipator, the one who set black folks free. Or did he really? Because the truth is, Abraham Lincoln was more concerned about keeping the union together than freeing the slaves. Freeing the slaves just happened to be the best political decision to make. Because history tells us, we have this knowledge now, that one of his ideas was, hmm, how do we deal with this conflict that's going on between the North and the South that's centered on slavery? I tell you what, let's send all the enslaved Africans back to Africa. That was one of his ideas. Until some brothers who met with him in the White House said, no, you can't do that. We're just as much a part of this country as anybody because we helped build this country. We're not going nowhere. And then he only included enslaved Africans in the Union Army because he was convinced to do so. And Frederick Douglass, a black man, was the main one convincing him because so many people of that time thought that black folk would panic under fire that black people weren't intelligent enough to be able to be in a formalized regiment because there were all of these myths that persisted about the the makeup of enslaved Africans, that we were brutes and beasts, that we were not intelligent. And so he wasn't going to include us in the United States Army, but thankfully he eventually did, and because of those 200,000 Escaped slaves from the south who joined the union. Victory was wrought and brought to the north. You see, there's an African proverb that says, until lions have their historians, tales of the hunt shall always glorify the hunters. Those who are writing the history, will glorify who they want and decimate who they want. Artists will have pictures that lift up certain groups and put down other groups by exaggerating their features and the color of their skin and the size of their lips. This is America, but this is a new day because the Bible says the first to present his case seems right. Until another comes along. So for hundreds of years, a case has been presented of the idealistic view of America. That it's the home of the free and the home of the brave. All the while, it's also the home of the slave. But others, we're in a day where we can challenge that narrative. But let's see the grace of God in action before I let you go. Because there's grace here. And here's the grace of God. Ahaz, the one who did not do right in the eyes of the Lord, killed his children, compromised with the king of Assyria, turned to him rather than turning to God and the high places and all the profane things he did on the altar, combining the altar of God with a pagan altar from Damascus. All, All those things he did, The Lord sustained him, even though he took the Lord's name out of his name. And he had a son, a son who lived by the name of Hezekiah. An evil man gave birth to a man named Hezekiah, who the Bible says that Hezekiah did what was right in the sight of the lord second kings chapter 18 verses 1 through 3 an evil man gave birth to a righteous son and that's the mercy of god hezekiah did what was right so so here's my question today here's my question because i've been working in a multicultural context For almost 26 years, now really more than that, going back to my time in college and even at the all-white church that I came from and many conversations and talks, I know right now that many of our white people are tossing all kinds of thoughts through your mind right now. It's either extreme guilt or you're trying to justify or you're pointing a finger, you're making it an individual thing that I am not a racist because racists are bad people. Um, I love black people. The proof that I'm here is here. Why do you have to talk about this? And and so there's all this stuff that, that floats around. But let me encourage you with this. We need Hezekiahs today. People who will do right even when their parents did wrong. You can admit that your grandfather was a racist and still love him. Let me say that again. Because some of you have parents and grandparents, you don't want to bring your children around because they either still use the N word and talk down about black people because they watch certain news stations all day long or they watch movie depictions of black people and they think that all black people fits this stereotype And they talk in derogatory terms about black people. And you are not like that parent or grandparent. You're Hezekiah. And you're saying, look, I'm going to serve the Lord. Even if that means I might not be bringing my kids around here if you keep talking like that. Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, even though his father did not do what was right. So white people, you can tell the truth about your grandfather's racism and still love him. Because loving your neighbor and honoring your parents, it's not predicated on whether or not they're perfect. It's just predicated on the fact they're made in the image of God. And you can love them or you can be like Jesus in Revelation. Jesus said, Jesus said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He didn't say, I hate the Nicolaitans. I hate their deeds. So take that with you and say, it's okay for me to stand up without being disrespectful. Mm, mm, mm. But it just ain't white folk. Before I move on, black folk need to be challenged too by black people. Ha <laughs> ha. I said I wasn't going to say this, but here I am about to say this. (laughs) Bill Cosby just gets out. Black community is torn. There are people excited over the fact that Bill Cosby, quote unquote, beat the system. A modern day OJ from 1995. If you ask every black person in America, did O.J. do it, they will say, yes, he did. But black folks back in that time, especially the older ones, were like, but at least a black man beat the system the way white folks normally beat the system. So black people were celebrating the fact that a black man got over on the system the way white folks have always gotten over on the system, and they excused what he did. Same kind of thing is going on with Bill Cosby. So you have blacks who are like, we're happy he's out. Then you have blacks who are like, what he did was wrong. And I spoke up on Instagram and said, what the brother did was wrong. Black folk came after me. They saw that I was a pastor and they said, you know, I'm a sellout. I'm this, I'm that. But here's the thing, here's what I said to a couple of people, because I don't really answer that stuff, but I, but I like to fight. And so every now and then I'll say something. <laughs> it's wrong. Because what they were saying, it's wrong for a married man, number one, to have sexual relations with other women. That's wrong. That's called adultery. That's wrong. But not only that, it's wrong for a married man to have sex with women that he drugged, whether they knew it or they didn't know it. It's wrong. But black folks come along and say, now, wait a minute now. What about Harvey Weinstein? We ain't talking about him. What about Epstein? We ain't talking about him. Stop deflecting. This brother was wrong. Well, that's what they were doing back then. It was a sexual revolution, these Negroes were saying. Everybody knew what they were doing. back. If you went to the room of a star, you knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. As long as it didn't happen to your mother or your sister, right? It happened to somebody else, it's okay. But, but see, you using that, 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 that premise, that's what they did back then, is no different than what folks say. They were men of their times and... Everyone just owned slaves back then. It was wrong back then with the slave owners and it was wrong with what Bill Cosby did. But here's the thing, my my deacon says tell the truth. But when you tell the truth, you get shot at for telling the truth. Back in the day, they string you up or literally shoot at you for telling the truth. But if we go all the way back to the Bible days, Prophets got stoned for telling the truth to their own people. So as I came this morning to address the spirit of white supremacy as we look at the history of our nation, I got to deal also with this spirit that's in the black community that does not like to be told the truth. Because unfortunately, our being victimized has turned many of us into victims. Yeah, you don't don't want to hear that. We don't want to keep that real, right? I told you, if you ever come to this church, I'm an equal opportunity dispenser of truth. The the word of God is a two-edged sword. It cuts in, it cuts out. It cuts the lost, it cuts the saved, it cuts white folks, and it cuts black folks. And I'm the preacher that's gonna preach the word, regardless of what you think, because I don't answer to you. God gave me the spiritual gift of prophecy. Not telling the future. Every now and then, you know, again, I see myself in Hawaii. But, 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 but telling the truth about situations. Yes. Even if that means you're not popular. Because yeah. <laughs> every black person is not my brother. Because uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> the family of God. God's diverse kingdom. Yeah. Jesus yokes us together by his blood which supersedes, it doesn't cancel out or disqualify, but it supersedes natural blood. So wherever Jesus Christ is standing, because some of me even told me, uh, uh, you worshiping that white God and, and all this kind of stuff, and, 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 and black folks learned about him when, when they got here in slavery. I'm like, you don't know your history. <laughs> you don't read the Bible. You judging the past. I'm not judging the man's heart. I'm not judging his eternal destiny, but I'm just looking at the fruit which Jesus said I can do. All right. So wherever Jesus is standing, I'm going to be standing there by the grace of God. Mm, mm, mm. And I, I don't think I'm by myself. Right. I think there are a couple folk in here who are going to stand on what thus saith the Lord to tell the truth. Amen. Even if the truth offends this group or that group, or I'll even say it like this. The truth as you see it now because none of us are going to arrive. We're looking through a glass dimly. So so the truth we get now, you stand on the truth. But recognize though, some stones may come your way. But I'm standing here today because Frederick Douglass made a stand in 1852. I'm standing here today because Mega Evers got shot in the back in his driveway. I'm standing here today because Martin Luther King got assassinated while being on a balcony wearing a suit in Memphis, Tennessee in 1968. I'm standing here because of Sojourner Truth. I'm standing here because of Fannie Lou Hamer. I'm standing on the shoulders of men and women who endured so much, not only against white folk, but against their own folk. Let me go deeper with this too. Malcolm X was as blackity black and blackety black as they come, even though he was high yellow light skin with red hair, he was blackity black. But the minute He called out the sins in the life of Elijah Muhammad, the adulterer, the one who had children all over the place. Once he called out his sin, he then became a Benedict Arnold and black people killed him. The government killed him, okay. Black folk pulled the trigger if they worked for the government. (laughs) We don't like to hear that stuff, but if you come to the house of God, we're going to worship the Lord in the spirit and in what? Oh, let me wrap this up. I, got, I, I was talking about grace. God gave this wicked man a son named Hezekiah. But there's more. There's more grace. There's more grace. There's more grace. Matthew chapter 1 verse 9 says, Uzziah begot Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz. And Ahaz begot Hezekiah. And if you keep reading in Matthew... It works itself all the way down to Joseph and to Joseph and Mary was born Jesus Christ, the son of God. So this wicked man and other wicked men in his lineage, including Abraham, including David and Solomon, Jesus came through this lineage. You see, Jesus came from messed up people so that he could come for messed up people. Jesus came from sick people so that he could come to heal sick people. Jesus came from sinners so that he could die for their sins and set them free from sin, death, and condemnation. And if you ask me, that's a real Independence Day right there. That he came. (laughs) He came for the thief On the cross, the man in the middle, Elder Aubrey, the man who says to the other guy who was putting Jesus down, just 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 fussing and cussing at Jesus the whole time. The other thief said, hey, man, we're up here because of stuff we did wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. Forget you. I'm trusting him. They may have been on their knees cracking safes together. Robbing old ladies together. But at some point, you got to make a decision to trust the man in the middle who can give you paradise in spite of yourself. That's why it's called grace. God is not afraid to tell the truth about political leaders. And we shouldn't be afraid to tell the truth about political leaders either. Because a, a pastor or a Christian should not be on any politician's payroll to the point where cat can get your tongue. Because <laughs> again, if you're preaching right, yeah, people are going to receive the word, people are going to grow. But if you're preaching right, you're going to have enemies on the right and on the left. If you're preaching right, you're going to have conservatives against you and liberals against you. If you're preaching right, you're going to have black folk against you and white folk against you if you're preaching right. <laughs> Telling the truth about flawed people causes us to see the grace of God in action. America is not blessed because of the founding fathers. America is blessed in spite of the founding fathers, because the grace of God superabounded over their sins, their hypocrisies, and their inconsistencies. So as you celebrate our country's independence today, be sure to also celebrate the fact that God graciously uses flawed individuals, and you and I are living proof of that. And because of his grace... You can say I once was lost, but now I'm found. There's some things in my past that I did. I'm not proud of, but it's under the blood. And if I can talk about it and share about it, not to give glory to that, but to give glory to God for what he's done in my life, then I'll do it. Father, thank you. You tell the truth. Your son told the truth to the Pharisees. Men who were looked up to and people even feared. Jesus came along and called them a bunch of hypocrites. And whitewashed sepulchers and wolves and sheep clothes. For some of them, the truth caused them to repent. But for the majority of them, the truth caused them to rebel and even seek to kill the Messiah. Lord, we're in an age today where people don't want to hear the truth. And they try to crush it to the earth. But truth crushed to earth shall rise again. The things done in darkness will be brought to the light. Help us to take you seriously. You don't play. But also help us to realize, Lord, that your grace sets us free to be honest about where we've come from and where we are. And if you can use anything, Lord, you can use us. So here we are. Have mercy on us. And thank you for demonstrating mercy through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If there's someone watching and you don't have a relationship with the Son of God, Yeshua, Jesus, today is the day of salvation. He will set you free today. All of your sins, all of the guilt, all of your burdens, he took on his body on that cross. And the Bible says that When you know the Lord, there's no condemnation because you're in Christ. Christ was condemned for you so that you don't have to be condemned under the sentence of sin and death. But you have to say like the man in the middle, Lord, remember me. (laughs) Jesus, I need you. Trust this Hebrew Savior who came down through 42 generations. Trust him. God sent him into the world to save us from our sins. He didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save us from our sin. But if you don't trust him, you condemn yourself. Receive the good news. What a great God. He couldn't pardon us without a payment. He just can't let you slide. Somebody had to pay and only one person could pay the price and satisfy the righteous demands of a holy God and a holy Messiah had to lay his life down as a lamb. But he laid it down and he took it back up, proving that he's the son of God. Oh, if you trust him, change your life. You won't be perfect down here, but you got a perfect God with you down here who's walking with you day by day, day by day, moment by moment, calling you up and giving you strength to do things you thought you could never do because he came to give you life and life more abundantly. This time, today is the Independence Day. Let this be the day that you become born again. Amen. God bless you.